Well, good morning, Northside family. My name's Nate. And uh, can we just thank God one more time for that moment of just seeing a life change happen with baptisms? You know, that's the power of us gathering together. And we're doing this series called Icon because it's the power of Jesus. Uh, you know, every parent will, uh, will tell you, uh, they won't tell their kids this, but in, uh, when their kids aren't around, we have no idea what we're doing. And, uh, and the whole thing about parenting is this, we're going, Jesus, please help us and, uh, and help us to grow to become more like you. But every parent's prayer as well as this, God, would you help our kids grow up to follow you? And I, I just love seeing Sarah and Aaron's heart just to, to pour into their lives. Uh, they'll tell you they're not perfect people, but they know the one who is perfect. And they're just pouring in. And I love Trent's uh, heart. He is Tommy's life group leader in middle school. And this is just the power of God at work. This is why we worship Jesus. Uh, one, he's worthy, but then this is what happens. When we begin to worship him, when we begin to follow him, he gives us his presence, his power, his Holy Spirit to do a work in this world that we couldn't do by ourselves. See, this is why it is a joy to follow Jesus, even in the hardship, even in the times. And I appreciate Aaron being honest, going, you know what? It wasn't easy. It isn't always easy. And sometimes you and I, we go through difficult circumstances, but we always have Jesus at work. This is why he is our icon. And I want to, I reminded you at the beginning of the service, but I do, I want to remind you on the way out to grab some of these Easter invite cards because this is the plan of the church. Jesus' plan is that he would send you and I out to bring his message of hope to the world. See, the power of the resurrection at Easter isn't just a set of beliefs. The power of the resurrection is an actual event. It's an event that took place, and it's an event that is taking place today, the power of Jesus at work in a world that is broken. Next week, we're going to talk about the hope of the resurrection, that we have a hope over sin and death when Jesus rose. But today, what we're going to talk about is this. It's the peace that Jesus gives us. This is why he's our icon. This is why he's our savior. He gives us peace. I don't even need to ask for a show of hands if anybody just needs peace in this place today, right? It's one of those things we can all agree and all the studies are coming out that not just certain countries, but literally everybody across the world, anxiety has never been at a higher level. Anxiousness has never been at a higher level. Mental health has never been a bigger issue. And all of us in this place are going, I just need some peace. Even if you're not a believer here today in Jesus, you'll say these phrases a lot or you'll hear these phrases said a lot as this. And I just need peace of mind. Or I just need some peace in what? Anybody? Quiet. Right? Some of you on Easter weekend, you're going to check your kid into every six services just so you can get six hours of peace and quiet. Some of you are like, that is a brilliant idea. All right? Kid side, I'm sorry. Don't do that, right? But this is what we know. We're going, man, even if you're not a believer in Jesus, you're going, man, I need, I need some peace. I need some space. I heard one guy say it this way. He said, there's a difference between being tired and being depleted. And the mistake we're making today is this. We just think we're tired. And he said this, if you're tired, go take a nap. But if you're depleted and you're wore out and you're wrung out, you need something entirely different. This is why when we gather together, we remember who our peace is. It's not that problems go away, and it's not that just silence is what it means to follow Jesus, 
Matter of fact, as you study the life of Jesus, it was one of the most loud, interruptive lives ever, but there was this peace that went with them. Matter of fact, the, uh, we looked at this last week. In the sixth century, the church that would gather in the Sinai Desert would have this picture of an icon when you walked into the church, and here was the picture of the icon. It's called the Pantocrator. And what was this? It was when you would come into the church, they wanted to remind you of your peace. On the left side, if you look at the face of Jesus, it's this. On the left side, there is the face of peace. And on the right side was this strength, this power, this truth. That's why he has the word of God. And if you look, there's two different faces there. And what they wanted to remind the church of is that we have a peace and we have a strength in Jesus. So when you put the left side of the face together, this is the image of Jesus you get. You get an approachable savior, a savior who's going, I welcome you. I want to connect with you. I want to meet you in your pain. You also got this picture of Jesus, which is both sides. This is middle linebacker Jesus right here. There's no pencil neck there, right? And what they would remind you is this. We also have the strength of Jesus. We have the peace, we have the strength. Now here's where life groups come in to keep us humble. After the service last weekend, one of the guys from my life group sent me this picture of an icon. And said, he goes, he goes, I was waiting for this picture. And I'm like, right guy, wrong icon, right? See, this is why you join a life group. They keep you humble and they make you laugh, right? And I love my life group. But, but really what happens is this, the reason why the church would do that is they knew when they come in, their life is crazy and overwhelmed and they would come in and they would see this picture of Jesus and they would go, that's right, I'm looking for peace. And Jesus, you're my peace. I'm looking for strength. That's right, Jesus, you're my strength. Jesus, I'm overwhelmed right now and I need help and I need direction. Maybe let me ask you this question today. Where do you go to get your peace? Where do you go? See, oftentimes we go, I don't know where I go. I just try to cope. Just try to maybe numb the pain. Just create some moment of peace in my life. Maybe a better question for us to ask instead of where do you go to get peace is this. Where do you need peace in your life right now? Where do you need peace Maybe for some of you, life is just fast and furious right now, and you've got some big job decisions to make. Maybe things are broken within the family. You're trying to navigate some stuff, and we're going, man, we need the peace of God right now. Uh, Friday night, got a phone call from my dad about 5, 5.30 in the evening that my 97-year-old grandpa had passed away. And oftentimes, a lot of you in this place or watching online, you've been there. You've lost a loved one. And here's the thing about my grandpa. He's 97 and uh, he's battled with memory stuff for the past couple of years. So he hasn't always been himself. Uh, but I don't know about you. Have you ever find this out? Even though I've had my grandpa for 97 years, uh, you always want more. And, and you know why we want more? This is why. The more I study the Bible, this is finally what I began to understand about the Bible. Is that when God created the world, he didn't create it with death in the beginning. This is why death is so hard for all of us, because God did not create the world with death in mind. That was not his plan. He created a world of peace. Literally, the Jewish word shalom, you know, some people will just jokingly say the word shalom, but we have no idea what we're saying. Literally, that word shalom means peace, but here is the Jewish meaning of, of peace. 
And this is why we've got to understand what does it mean? Because our Savior Jesus is a Jewish man and our faith comes out of that. And the word shalom means peace like this. You ready? It's peace with God. It's peace with ourselves. It's peace with others. And it's peace with all of creation. This is why sometimes we'll say stuff like this. Me and God, we're good. It's just everybody else. We ain't good. Or you'll be good with everybody else and you'll be good with God, but you'll say stuff like this. I just don't like who I am. And really what we're saying is this. I don't have this peace. The question that I want to pose for us today is this. What if peace isn't a place that you go although it's good to go get refreshment. What if peace isn't a problem to be solved, although you and I will have problems all of the days of our life, but what if peace is actually knowing the person of Jesus Christ and knowing the person of Jesus and going to be refilled in whatever fills our tank? And not just knowing Jesus, but knowing Jesus when there's problems in our life for us to navigate. I'm learning Jesus this week in a deeper way with the loss of my grandpa. I'm learning the peace. I love what Philippians 4 says, that transcends all understanding, that goes beyond everything. See, this is why Paul, we've been walking through Colossians chapter 1, and what he wants to do is this. He wants to lift up Jesus so that everybody can see who he really is. And today, he wants us to see Jesus as our peace. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 through 20, he begins to lay out what does it look like for you and I to know this peace, to know this peace in our problems, to know the peace of God when we're depleted and we're wrung out. And listen to what he says in verse 19. He says, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven. And then this is what he says, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, here's what I love about Paul in this, in this moment. He takes us on a prepositional parade, all right? And I want us to follow this because he says, here's how peace comes. He says that he, make, he makes peace through his blood shed on the cross. So here's what we gotta understand about what peace is. Jesus made peace so his peace could make us new. See, oftentimes, you and I, here's the two roads that we have to take today. And maybe you've been on this other road, and here's the road that if we're not careful, this is the road we'll take. We'll spend our entire life trying to make peace in our life when Jesus is saying, here's what I've called you to, to allow my peace to make you. There's a big difference between you and I trying to make our peace and allowing the peace of the cross to make us. This is what I love about Paul in this passage. The prepositions he uses is he says this. He goes, here's where peace comes from. It's in Jesus, it's through Jesus, and it's to Jesus. He said, your peace is in Jesus. Your peace is when you live your life through Jesus. And your peace is when you and I live our lives to Jesus. See, this is where when you study the scriptures, all you got to do is look up in the back of the Bible. You just look up the word peace and it'll outline a bunch of scriptures for you. And here's where you'll find peace. This is what I oftentimes forget because I'll try to make peace in my life. And what I forget is this. Peace is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Meaning this, you and I, we can't manufacture God's peace in our life. You can't manipulate God's peace in your life. 
But you and I sure can allow God to make his peace in our life. Here's what it looks like to have the peace of God in our life. It's this, when he says, all of this is in him, what it means is this, that peace is found in Jesus, is not embarrassed of you. Now, some of you, I know, you're not ready to stand up and applaud that, right? And here's why. Because oftentimes, here's what I find out. Where you and I need peace the most is where we're embarrassed the most. Today, I turned 40 years old. And the first word I woke up when I said this morning was, ouch, right? You know, it's like, ouch, right? Here's what I've learned more and more after 40 years of living. You know where I need peace the most? Where I'm still embarrassed the most in my life. That's where I need peace. Oftentimes, here's what we'll do. We'll settle for a peace on the surface, a quiet night, a quiet day, when actually, you know what you and I need? We need peace deep in our souls. I love what Proverbs chapter 14 says. It's Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. Listen what it says. It says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. See, when your heart and my heart is at peace with God, it gives life to the body. But did you notice something that was interesting? The writer of Proverbs compared peace, and he didn't say violence. What he said was this, envy. You know where envy comes from? When you and I decide to make our own peace. When you and I begin to take our own track instead of allowing the peace of God to change us. I love what Paul says here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. He says this, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. God was pleased. Let me ask this question of you this morning. Do you believe that God actually wants to spend time with you? And if you don't, whatever reason that is, it's probably where you need his peace today. Why don't you believe that God would want to spend time with you when he says he was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus? God was pleased. He, he could have saved us by giving us just a little bit of Jesus. Right? Do you know that? Just a little bit of Jesus is enough, right? And, Jesus, and God goes, no, I want to give you the full thing. I want to give you the fullness of my son. I got a good friend here in the church. His son is in my son's kindergarten class. He texted me this week. He said, hey, we were doing our evening prayer time. And he said, here was my son's prayer. He said, I just had to share it. He said, here's what my son prayed to God. He said, God, thanks for having our families back. And God, thanks for having my back. And I'm like, I need to write that prayer down. I know he's six, right? I need that prayer when I'm 40. And I loved it because what, what a six-year-old knew is this. He has a God who has his interest in mind. He has a God who has his peace in mind. And he's living this life going, God, thank you for thinking of me. There's a phrase that came up in the business world that people began to find out as, as folks were losing employees and they didn't know why. And they were trying to figure out what they found was this. Employees were leaving when everything only became about the bottom line. But the reason why employees would stay is what they found was this. They did a bunch of uh, research and they found bosses and leaders that they coined this phrase 10 years ago. It originates with God, but it came up in the business world about 10 years ago. It says this, people begin to stay when they have leaders who lean into their life instead of tune out 
the problems in their life. You have a heavenly father who knows your embarrassed places and stories of your life. And instead of tuning you out, you know what he does? He leans in through the power of the cross. He leans in with peace. He leans into the problems. He leans into your life. All through scripture, you'll see it all over the place is this. You'll see the word peace. Just study the word peace. And what you find is this God entering into the problems. Matter of fact, one of my favorite passages is Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. God's people, the Israelite people, he tells them, he goes, I'll be your God. You'll be my people. I'll take care of you. You're weak. You're small. Without me, though, you're not going to have peace. Without me, you're not going to have success. And, of course, what do they do? It's like telling a kid, don't touch the stove. What do they do? They touch the stove, right? Israelites, they just rebel against God. They get themselves in trouble. They worship all the other gods. They, They mess everything up. And God goes, all right, Israel, you don't want to worship me. I'm going to have to send you into captivity. See, God loves you, but here's the thing about God. God ain't afraid to discipline us either. And he's like, all right, Israel, you're not going to worship me? You're going in the corner. You're going to captivity. But Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, he says, hey, Jeremiah, go tell my people. I know you're being disciplined, but then he says this. Tell them I have loved them with an everlasting Love. Your heavenly father knows where you're embarrassed in your life. And he loves you with an everlasting love. See, that's what the cross is. He was pleased to give his fullness in Jesus. Jesus even tells his disciple this in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16. He says, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Jesus wants you to encounter a peace, not a surface level peace, but a peace that is in your soul, a peace that goes into the bones, that goes into the deepest, darkest places, the pain that you and I experience. Because what we find is this, we find this peace is not embarrassed of us when we're embarrassed of ourselves, but I love this about Jesus, it's this. His peace doesn't abandon us either. He's not embarrassed and he doesn't abandon. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. And then he says it this way, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things. All things. This is what I love about Jesus. He's not here to reconcile some things. He's here to reconcile all things. Reconcile means simply this, bring everything back together. To bring everything back together. Here's what we believe as we read the scripture. Here's what we believe Jesus came to do. It's this, sin has impacted and touched every single part of humanity. Every single part. Means this, that you and I are broken. And we need a savior who can reconcile. We need a savior who can redeem. We need a savior who can bring us back together. The only thing is this. I don't know about you, but a lot of times I see places in my life that Jesus wants to reconcile. And this is how I act. I act like I'm back in fourth grade. Because here's what I do in fourth grade. When the teacher would call on, does anybody have the answer? I don't know about you, but this is what I do. Don't look at the teacher. Right? Just don't make eye contact with Jesus, right? If you don't make eye contact with Jesus, he won't call on you, right? And here's the problem. The more we do that, here's what happens. The longer we avoid what God wants to redeem and reconcile in our life, you find this to be true, right? The longer we avoid an issue, what happens? The worse it gets, doesn't it? The worse it gets. And Jesus here, this is what Paul is saying. He's going, in Jesus, he wants to reconcile all things. I remember growing up, uh, my parents had a life group 
that would meet at their house. They would learn the ways of Jesus together. I remember this guy, Steve Leach, great guy. He came up, I was six years old, and uh, he came up to me after life group one night, and he said, Nate, got something to share with you. It's a secret. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool, man. You know, six, you know, I'm six years old. I'm like, that sounds cool. And he said, here's a secret. I'm going to let you know. He said, there's only one thing wrong with the church. And at six years old, my dad's a pastor. I'm like, shouldn't you go talk to the pastor? Why are you talking to me, man? Right? He said, Nate, there's only one thing wrong with the church. And I'm like, well, tell me what it is, Steve. He said, the only thing wrong with the church is people. Right? He's like, that's it, man. And I'm like, and then he jokingly goes, and the only thing the church is is what? People. And he said, and this is why we need Jesus. This is why we need Jesus. See, this is why this passage is so important. Sometimes you will be tempted, specifically in relationships, to make your own peace. And when you and I chase our own peace in a relationship without the peace of God, it actually never brings to fruition what we long for. And the more we avoid it, oftentimes the worse our relationships get. This is why Paul wrote this passage in Galatians chapter 3. You know, sometimes people say stuff like this. You know what the church just needs to do today? They just need to go back like the early church. They need to go back to like the early church was. They had it right. And here's the deal. When we read the Bible, they got a lot right. The only thing is this. They were still broken people powered by the Holy Spirit. And then you read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and what you find is this. There's a guy who's sleeping with his stepmom and bragging about it who's a Christian, right? And they're like, yeah, 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 that doesn't fly in the church, right? And here's the thing. There's broken people going on, and there's all these things and problems in the church, and Paul has to write to remind the church, quit trying to make your own peace and allow the peace of God, allow the peace of God to make you. That's just the peace of God speaking to you right now, right? We hear, right? We hear it in the sky. And here's what happens. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul says this. He writes to the church because people have begun to try to make their own peace and they've walked away from the peace of God. They've abandoned the peace. And he says this to them in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. He says, listen, church, he says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. See, when you place your faith in him, he says, you become sons of God, which means this, we get to share in the inheritance of Christ. He says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself into Christ. Now there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Here's what Paul is saying here. Church, quit trying to make your own peace. And allow the peace of Christ to make you. Now, some of you are going, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. What he's saying is this. He's not getting, getting rid of race or nationality. He's not getting rid of gender. What he's saying is this. Here was the problem in the church. Specifically in Galatians chapter 2, Peter, who was one of Jesus' disciples, begins to show favoritism to the Jews and begins to exclude the Gentiles. And what he's saying is this. Hey, Peter. The church doesn't play favorites. See, this, the church isn't about one nationality or one race or another. What Jesus came to do is this. He came and he died for all races and all nationalities. And see, the invitation of the church is for every country, every nation to become a follower of him. And this is how the church thrives, is we don't place a nationality above another. We place Jesus above everything else. Amen. This is the heart of the church. 
We don't play favorites. He said, that's why there's no, neither Jew nor Greek doesn't mean there's not Jews or Greeks in the church. What he's saying is this, that you love one another with the love of Christ. The problem with when he says there's neither male nor female was this. Women oftentimes in that time were only treated as property. What can be taken from them or what service they could provide. And Jesus comes along and goes, yeah, that's not how I made humanity. Yeah, and that's not the way the church is going to work. No, 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 no. You're not going to belittle women. You're going to raise women up. See, this is what peace of Christ does. Begins to bring people together. Begins to empower and validate and see the good in each other. The only way we do that is when we allow the peace of Christ to make us. See, the peace found in Jesus, it's in Jesus, it's through Jesus, and it's to Jesus. Peace found in Jesus moves us forward. This is what I love about the peace of Jesus. It's active. It's not passive. The peace of Jesus comes into our life and it begins to do a new work in us. And it says, you don't have to make yourself. You don't have to have all the dreams. All you need to do is allow the presence of God into your life and to begin to move you forward. See, peace has a purpose. This is why the passage says this, that he's come to reconcile everything to himself. See, you and I begin when we see the purpose of Jesus in our life and to say, God, you're not just trying to come and like give me quiet moments. God, you want your peace to do a new work. This is why Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter five in the Sermon on the Mount, he says this to him. He said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. Notice that Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. He didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. See, peace and the peace of God will move us forward with God. The peace of God begins to become our purpose. It begins to move us forward. And he says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Jesus goes, I know. As you follow me and as you allow my peace to make you, guess what? People aren't going to always like it. But I'm going to give you a joy and a peace as I'm your purpose. He says this, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here's what we know. Peace comes at a cost, doesn't it? See, when you and I follow the peace of Christ, sometimes it costs us our pride. Sometimes it costs us confessing our sin. To say, God, I've got to go to who I've wronged and ask for forgiveness. Or God, I've got to be honest with you. But here's what we know. Every single time we choose the peace of Christ, here's what happens. This is what he says. He says, you can rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. See, when you and I allow the peace of Christ to make us, oh, there will be cost along the way because that's what it looks like to carry our cross. But here's what we know. When we choose to try to make our own peace, that cost us as well. 
What's interesting was I was reminded yesterday was the anniversary of the death of Diedrich Bonhoeffer, one of the greatest theologians that ever lived. And uh, he was born in Germany. He was a, a German pastor and he pastored when World War II began to take off. And here's what Diedrich Bonhoeffer was doing. He was training pastors, and here's what he was faced. Either he had to fall in line with the Third Reich and begin to follow Hitler because that was how they were going to bring peace to the world, or he was going to allow the peace of Christ to make him, and this is what he knew, it's probably going to cost him. Turns out, if you spoke out against Hitler, that didn't always go well for you. And Bonhoeffer knew that, and he wrestled with it, and some pastors got him out of Germany and brought him here to America. And the more he walked around here in America, the more he listened to God, what he knew was this, God was sending him back to Germany to start another seminary to train up pastors in the midst of Hitler's regime. And he leaves the freedom of America, he goes back to Germany, and he plants a seminary literally right across the street from where the Third Reich was training their soldiers. And this is what Diedrich Bonhoeffer believed, and this is what he would tell his students. This piece is stronger than that piece. This piece of the cross is stronger than that piece. This piece must be bigger in your life than that piece. It wasn't until a couple months later, the Third Reich came and arrested him, sent him off to a concentration camp. And yesterday, April 9th, 1945, they led him out and they hung him on Easter Sunday morning. And what you do is this, he was only 39. If you go back and you read Diedrich's work, The Cost of Discipleship, the book Ethics, what you find is this, you find a man whose legacy of peace continues on today. A legacy of peace that marks his life, that marked his students, that marked that country. And you know what? Diedrich was right. This peace is stronger than that peace. Because this peace is an eternal piece of the cross. I love what James chapter three, verse 18, it says this. It says, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Peacemakers who sow peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Where do you need the peace of Jesus to make you today? You know, one of my favorite stories about my grandpa is this. He was the elder, one of the elders in his church in Palmyra, Illinois. And when uh, grandpa lost his first wife in the 70s, it struck a, a nerve deep in him where he went, you know what? The reality of sin, the reality of death is real. And I want to tell as many people as I can about this peace of Christ because in his greatest loss, he found the peace of Christ ministering to him. And his neighbor, Marvin, didn't come to church, didn't believe in Jesus. And he thought, God, I want to reach Marvin. I, I want to reach him. Even though I'm in pain, I want to give him the peace that I have. And he knew Marvin was a farmer and he loved belt buckles. And so my grandpa went to the state fair. And what was amazing is this. He went and he bought the biggest belt buckle he could find. And he thought, you know what? I'm going to go over to Marvin's house. I'm going to give him this belt buckle and invite him to church. And what was great about my grandpa is this, he did that. He, he came home from the state fair, he had this massive belt buckle. He went to Marvin's house and he said, Marvin, just got to thinking and praying for you. And I bought this belt buckle and 
wanted to invite you to church. You know how a lot of times when we invite people to church, it's pretty awkward. And Marvin got the belt buckle, looked at it, looked at my grandpa, and just started laughing right in his face. And grandpa's like, yep, that's how I thought it'd go, right? People are just going to laugh at you. Okay, this is it. Blessed are those, the peacemakers. You're going to be persecuted. They're going to insult you. And then Marvin just kept laughing. And he said, Eldon, he said, why did you buy me this belt buckle? I wanted to invite, you know, I knew you loved him. I want to invite you to church, let you know that I love you and Jesus loves you. My grandpa on the belt buckle thought he bought a belt buckle with a Canadian maple leaf on it and gave it to Marvin. True story. My dad still has the belt buckle. Marvin looked at my grandpa and said, Eldon, this is a marijuana leaf. My grandpa's a quiet man, but right after that, he goes, you still want to come to church? Amazing. Later that year, Marvin came to church, got baptized. His whole family, believers still today, peacemakers who sow peace will raise a harvest of righteousness. I don't know anything greater than what you and I could give our life to than the peace of Jesus. A peace that is making us new in the moments where we're so embarrassed of our failures. We don't even tell people, but he knows. And he's going, would you, I, I, I am pleased to give you my peace. I'm pleased to give you my son. For some of you, it's not your failures. You've had so many people abandon you in your life, you just can't trust anybody. You've had pastors hurt you, you've had parents hurt you, you've had teachers hurt you, and you're just going, I can't. But it's through Christ, he's reconciling all things, all brokenness, all hurt, all sin, all shame on the cross. And his peace moves us forward. Here in a moment, we're going to take communion. We're going to take the bread. We're going to take the juice. And every time we do that, what we declare is this. Oh, Jesus, you are our peace. That Jesus, we believe we don't have to make ourselves, but Jesus, it is your peace. It is your spirit that is making us. And we give our life to it. All oh, we're persecuted for it. All oh, we're blocked and defriended and kicked out of group text and forgotten but we've got a peace that our soul needs because of the cross. What I'm gonna invite you to do in this moment is just simply open your life once again to remember and proclaim who your peace is. Then we're gonna sing about the goodness of God. And so let me pray for us right now. We're gonna remind ourselves about the peace of Christ and lift him up in our lives once again. So let's pray together. Father. God, we thank you. God, we thank you that you know the cries of our heart. God, you know the brokenness of our soul and the longings and the pain that we go through. And Father, when we least deserve grace, 
That's when you give us the most of it. Thank you, God, for being a God of peace. Thank you for being a God that meets us where we are, that leads us through the pain, that holds us together, that walks with us in our fears. God, thank you that you give us a way to leave an eternal legacy, a legacy of you. And so, Father, right now, as we remember what you've done in Christ, Father, may we be able to take a deep breath and allow your peace, your peace, to rule our hearts and our minds right now. And Jesus, we pray all of this in your name and what you've done for us on the cross. And it's in your name that we pray. And everybody said together, amen. When you're ready, let's take communion and then we'll sing together.